Hello, I'm Eddie French, and you might recognise me from such icy news noises as... <coughs> Daddy! And who could forget... <coughs> well, the good news is, is that I now have my own podcast. It's called Pick Scraped, and it is a fortnightly sketch show uh, made entirely by me. So if that sounds like the sort of thing you'd like, go to wherever you get your podcasts and listen to it. Thank you. Pick Scraped. You're listening to IC News, the only network bringing you the stories from across the multiverse. As complaints against Dominic Raab grow and the row over Nadim Zahawi's tax affairs deepens, scientists at Oxford University reveal that Rishi Sunak's backbone is now the softest substance known to man. The Tory MP Andrew Bridgen is suspended from the Conservative Party for promoting conspiracy theories about Covid vaccines and comparing them to the Holocaust, ironically outing himself as a far more dangerous prick than any vaccine. A Met Police officer nicknamed Bastard Dave by his colleagues has been found guilty of being a serial rapist. In a statement issued by their spokesman, corrupt cunt-kicker Kevin, the Met says it will review its vetting processes immediately in an attempt to address misogyny among its officers. The Chancellor Jeremy Hunt unveils his vision for economic growth, with a bold plan to get elderly and exhausted Brexit-supporting retirees to return to work, mainly by sending them all to the House of Lords. Carol Vorderman calls out the Prime Minister's own financial arrangements and lays into him on breakfast television. The former Countdown host suggested Rishi Sunak may be guilty of insider trading and stopped just short of calling him a greasy little consonant vowel consonant consonant. Leveling up Secretary Michael Gove promises to bring the spirit of Thatcherism to the north of England, provided the coal mine he's just approved can dig deep enough to drag her out of hell first. There is outrage as it is revealed that British Gas have been breaking into the homes of vulnerable customers to force-fit prepayment meters as the energy giants graduate from highway robbery to home invasion burglaries. Boris Johnson makes Nadine Dorries year by appearing on her talk TV show and finally letting her give him the easy ride she's been begging for for three years. China tells the US to remain cool-headed with regard to its suspected spy balloon over American airspace. The Chinese insist the object is a harmless weather-testing device, and it is. It's testing whether or not the Americans will shoot it down. And finally, scientists say they have found a way to fix the energy crisis by harnessing the nuclear fury released by Mumsnet every time Sam Smith releases a new music video. me, Danny Sutcliffe, everyone's favourite IC News correspondent and marketing genius. I'm the man you need to freshen up your brand for 2023, and I mean properly. Not just a quick spritz under the armpits. I'm talking about rolling the foreskin back and really getting at that build-up with a chisel. In today's difficult economic climate, a freshly whittled reputation with your clients really is the only way to stay relevant and profitable. 
I've worked with some of Britain's top political brands, from Lee VU to Lawrence Fox's cocaine dealer. So believe me when I say you can always trust a Sutcliffe. <laughs> Nowadays, at least. How's that for a rebrand? But it's not just successful global businesses like the Sutcliffe Jet Washing Emporium that I've expertly steered through the choppy waters of public opinion. If I can save that business following an unfortunate incident where quite a lot of LSD was accidentally sprayed into a primary school, I can save anyone's. But I've also worked on high-profile marketing campaigns for loads of satisfied customers, from Big Barry's Fish and Chip Van to One-Eyed Mary's Etsy Shop and Balenciaga, which is why I'm the only man at the network with the relevant skills to assess this year's biggest brand relaunch. The Conservative Parties! It's a new season for the country's favourite line of out-of-touch posh twonks. And boy, have they got some eye-catching new proposals for you, the British consumer. First up, mascots. Let's talk them. Now, unfortunately, there's no doubt that last year's marketing campaign was a bit of a disaster for the Tories. Putting the bride of Chucky in charge for 45 days was a bold gambit, but unfortunately, it didn't pay off. And stocks by which I mean the entire fucking economy, plummeted. It was back to the drawing board in a hurry, and the focus groups quickly came back with the most radical, out-of-the-box, blue-sky thinking they could dream up. What if we took what people love about the Tories, tax avoidance and obscene wealth, and dialed it up to 11? It was truly visionary stuff, helped along by the brilliant idea to front the campaign with a new, adorable, pint-sized mascot. In a new colour, no less. Would it be a big seller? Yes, of most of the country's assets. Would it be popular? No, but nobody really likes that fucking insurance maker either. What's really important is brand awareness, and with Rishi Sunak, the British public are now more aware of the Tories than ever. Now you, an armchair cynic and ignoramus, might argue that not all awareness is good awareness. You might point to the NHS waiting lists, or the growing workers' revolt, or the terrible staff retention rates in our schools, hospitals and public services. All good points, which is why it's so important to back up your glossy presentation with some real substance. Good, meaty policy platforms to win back the faith of the electorate and deliver the real change that so many are crying out for. 2023 is Rishi Sunak's year to really stamp his authority across the face of the Conservative Party and make his case to the country. He needs some big ideas to turn around his party's fortunes. There's only one place in the multiverse where that sort of inspiration strikes, and it's right here. This is Earth Alpha Thatcher non-DOM 37, and it's the dimension that the Conservative Party have been drawing all of their policy ideas from for the last 12 years. The think tanks and the millionaire donors get to do some tinkering around the edges, obviously. We do live in a democracy after all. But the real meat and potatoes of everything the country has been put through over the last decade and a bit comes from right here. This beautiful, circular bit of drywall encircling the wellspring of all Tory knowledge. It's important in business to outsource and consult, preferably in a way that allows your mates to bill the British taxpayer a big fat wadge of cash. And for the Conservatives, it's no different. Every new Conservative Prime Minister, at some point in their tenure, 
comes here to this wishing well. All you need to do is put roughly 30 million quid into the bucket and lower it down. And in return, the well gives you a benchmark new policy to get your leadership off to a flying start. So let's give it a go, shall we? I've got a fat new cashier's cheque right here. And all I had to do to get it was write to Matt Hancock a couple of years back and promise him I had a few rubber gloves to flog. Down it goes. And then all we need to do is wait for our answer. <coughs> Not the fastest service in the multiverse, admittedly, but, you know, waiting lists and all that. Hello? Is anyone home? I told you lot the last two times, we're all out. What the fuck do you mean you're all out? You're meant to be the wellspring of all Tory knowledge. We've got nothing, mate. It's dry. Why do you think Trust just started making shit up? I'm going to piss in a minute, minute here, pal. I've, I've just dropped 30 million, million bastard quid into this pit. You can't just leave me with nothing. There's nothing down here, mate. Just a bunch of dead cats. There's got to be something, you Robin Robot. Well, there is one thing, but I don't think it will help much. Anything. I'll take anything. Have you considered making kids do maths until they're 18? Can I have my 30 million quid back, please? No. Unfucking believable So there you have it, dear listener. The presentation might be a bit glossier this year, but the wellspring of Tory ideas has well and truly run dry. I'm Danny Sutcliffe. God help all of us. Reporting for IC News. Harry's book has been chewing its way through the headlines all week and has sparked a furious storm of condemnation from many commentators. But is the media hysteria in any way justified or is it simply proving Meghan and Harry's argument? Joining us in the studio today to discuss, it's our own royal correspondent, Sebastian Forlock. Hello, Sam. As always, it's a pleasure to be here. Even more so when it falls to me to defend my profession from the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. We royal correspondents are a proud and noble breed, you know. Never before have we come under such vicious assault. You look at Nicholas Witchell and think proud and noble, do you? But of course, those patrician features, that strong, confident jaw, that gloriously masculine stoop when he grovels so elegantly before even the slightest royal. He's been the poster boy of my trade for a generation. I once saw him in person, fawning over Mike Tyndall as if he were heir to the throne itself. Such commitment to obsequiousness, Sam. I came right there in the press throng, and I'm not ashamed to admit it. Did you have a question, dear boy? Oh, sorry, um, I was just genuinely stunned into silence there for a moment. Well, it's been quite the week for shocking autobiographical outbursts, hasn't it? <laughs> I consider it rather fitting. 
Putting aside your anecdotes, Sebastian, let's focus on the press coverage of Spare's release this week, shall we? Yes, of course. A dreadful and torrid little tome filled with the most unrepentant bile and hearsay. Thank goodness it was met with such professionalism by a host of pundits and commentators with nothing but level and perfectly appropriate critiques. That's not really what happened, though, is it? <laughs> Poppycock! In fact, what's become remarkably obvious during Harry's defensive little tour of the talk shows is that we, the press, are the injured party here. Any suggestions that my colleagues and mutual experts in royal reportage have acted with anything other than calm, impartial rationality is pure slander. I wouldn't say Dan Wooten and Piers Morgan have seemed particularly calm this week, Sebastian. Nonsense! It's the Sussexes who are the petty, prattling provocateurs here. They're the ones obsessed with self-aggrandizement, choosing to do so through the vindictive debasement of our monarchy. We, in the press, have been nothing but reasonable, and I can prove it. Really? How? With this. Look. Okay, and what is it that I'm looking at exactly? It's a lie detector, Sam. These electrodes and sensors dotted across my flesh will measure my biological response to every question you may ask me. I will prove beyond any shadow of a doubt that I can handle Harry's autobiography with nothing but its due and impartial journalistic rigour. Well, this is all very normal. And that's not all, Sam. Not only will this machine gauge the veracity of my responses, I've got such faith in my calm and even temperament that I've linked it to the jade egg I currently have inserted in my rectum. Should this machine detect an untruth, it will raise the temperature of said egg five degrees. What is wrong with you? Nothing, Sam. There is absolutely nothing wrong with me. Mm. Oh, that's, uh, it's warm. Yeah, I really don't want to participate in whatever this is. Well, you have to, Sam. I've gone to a lot of effort. Yes, all to prove, it seems, that some elements of the press have gone completely insane over the release of this book. What is it exactly about this memoir that's made you maniacs absolutely lose your minds? <laughs> I haven't lost my mind, Sam! <laughs> In fact, I couldn't care less about Harry and Meghan. What, you think it's perfectly reasonable of Harry to tell his side of the story then, even if it is damaging to the reputation of the royal family? I just think it's important to have a sense of perspective, Sam, and to be responsible with our truths. And what was responsible about the selective quoting regarding Harry's kill count in Afghanistan, exactly? 
particularly when it came from early leaks of the book and the full context of his comments wasn't widely available. That was perfectly legitimate reporting and about as far from sensationalist as it's possible to get. Naughty little Yankee candle. Well, what about the allegations he makes about the palace conspiring with the press and leaking damaging stories about him and his wife? I think you'll find the relationship between Buckingham Palace and the press is a congenial one, Sam, and is in absolutely no way mutually parasitic. Are you all right, Sebastian? Yes. Are you going to go and have a cold bath now? Yes. I think that's probably a sensible idea for you, Piers Morgan, and Dan Wooten. I'm Sebastian Forlock, and now I know what a chocolate fondant feels like. Reporting for IC News. Is that Sonny and Cher I can hear blaring out of your radio? Because here on Earth Prime, it's certainly starting to feel like Groundhog Day. Here I am, on a different week, reporting the same story again. Rishi Sunak gets filmed doing something cringeworthy. Questions get asked about a member of the Cabinet's dodgy tax affairs and another one of Britain's key trade unions announces its members have voted overwhelmingly in favour of industrial action. You may as well get used to it, everyone. If developing empathy for your fellow human beings is the only way to break the loop, this government is going to have us trapped in it forever. So... Let's just focus on one aspect of this never-ending pattern of dismal repetition, shall we? This time round, it's teachers that are down in pencils and walking out of classrooms, with eight days of strike action for England and Wales announced to take place over the next three months. That's the result of the ballot from the NEU, the largest education union in the country, with a staggering 90% of teachers who voted backing the call to strike. Rishi Sunak loves a bit of maths, so he should be able to figure out pretty quickly that those numbers suggest his government may have lost the trust of the profession. He's in for another bumpy ride, so fingers crossed he forgets to strap himself in for that one as well. With any luck, the teachers can bounce him out of the sunroof and replace him with a Prime Minister smart enough to figure out that subtracting wages, adding pupil numbers and then multiplying staff stress levels by 20 equals a major crisis for our schools. (laughs) Not that common sense ever comes into the conversation when it comes to this government and its approach to this wave of strikes. Already, in fact, Education Secretary Gillian Keegan has waded graciously into this new battlefront of the Great Trade Union War of 2023, saying in an interview that teachers don't have to strike to get my attention. This, of course, is despite years of the NEU warning about staff retention rates and a lack of teachers for specialised subjects, and seeing very little action from this government in response. 
It's just another tone-deaf response from a Tory minister that can go straight onto the raging bonfire of this government's relationship with workers all across the public sector. Keegan should know that these are teachers we're talking about. They know full well what it looks like when the person they're talking to is just facing the front and not taking a word of anything they say in. Clearly, the mood in government is that the dominoes are very much on the verge of toppling all the way down to a general strike. They're clearly petrified that any movement now, whether it be on nurses' pay or on the railways, will trigger a chain reaction of caving to wage demands that cripple the country's finances. The problem is, of course, that none of Sunak's pie-in-the-sky visions for economic growth work without this country having a functional infrastructure. If the Tories want a healthier, more productive workforce, they need an NHS that actually works. If they want commuters that boost local economic activity and regional investment, they need affordable, efficient ways for them to actually commute. And if they want a highly skilled, highly specialised, modern workforce that faces the tech challenges of the 21st century, they need to recruit good teachers and keep them happy enough to stay in the job. The reality this government is running scared from and completely refusing to acknowledge is that they've mismanaged the economy to the point now where they can't afford to do the very things they need to do to achieve their own economic ambitions. We already have a massive shortage of specialised maths teachers in this country and Sunak has now made it one of the flagship policies of his administration to teach our kids maths all the way up to 18. (laughs) With who exactly? The whole recruitment crisis, both in schools and the NHS, is driven by the application of the same mantra now being weaponised to dismiss these strikes. Well, if you don't like it, Just go and get a better job. That's exactly what these people are doing, Barry, on the BBC Have Your Say section, you colossal fucking dunce. Hundreds of our very best teaching assistants, one of the most undervalued and underpaid professions in the country, are rapidly catching on to the fact that they can currently earn a damn sight more money for much less stress by going to work for Aldi. And that's not an exaggeration. Our trade unions aren't just revolting because wages have stagnated for their members, although that is obviously a huge concern for millions of people who are now struggling to survive on the wage of the job they've committed their lives to. They're demanding desperately needed improvements to the whole systems their members work in. Let's take the NEU as just one example. You're going to hear a lot about teachers' pay, and holidays, and everything else from the shills sent out to defend the government over these teaching strikes. But one of the NEU's key demands in these strikes isn't just over member pay, it's also that the government needs to fund the pay increases recommended by the bodies it's constantly touting. That's because simply putting the costs onto schools, as they did with last year's 5% rise, is crippling their budgets. Schools the length and breadth of the country are currently running a budgetary deficit. The picture is even worse in special education, where the high numbers of staff needed to keep children safe means the finances take an even bigger hit. (sighs) But hey, maybe I'm just being far too cynical. Maybe the government are in fact aware of all this and 
do in fact have a plan to stop our schools hemorrhaging their skilled staff. Maybe, maybe I'll wake up tomorrow and, and Sunak's government will finally start engaging in good faith with the trade unions. I'm Tom King, um, and a man can dream, reporting for IC News. Ah, for fuck's sake! Hello again, everyone, and happy 2023. It's me, the relentlessly optimistic Tegan Marlowe, here to keep things upbeat and positive, even in the face of, well, everything. I've made a New Year's resolution to keep everything chipper and to always assume the very best of everyone involved in any argument, which is why it's on me this week to find out exactly what's been going on with Scotland's gender recognition reform bill. To say it's a bit of a sticky one is, put simply, a massive fucking understatement. First of all, let's just try and sum up what's going on with this bill. Last month, the Scottish Parliament passed reforms aimed at making it easier for trans people in Scotland to change their legally recognised sex. The bill removes the need for medical diagnosis of gender dysphoria and lowers the age trans people in Scotland can apply for a gender recognition certificate to 16. The bill was a contentious one that had a bumpy ride through the Scottish Parliament. It faced and still faces, opposition from critics that claims allowing anyone to self-identify as a woman could affect women's rights and access to single-sex spaces, like refuges and changing rooms. The SNP argue this isn't the case, and that such spaces are still protected under existing equality legislation. But the existing equality legislation is where this story gets even more complicated. This week, the British government took the unprecedented step of blocking the SNP's gender bill under Section 35 of the Scotland Act, the first time it's ever done so since powers were first devolved to the Scottish Parliament in 1998. Westminster insists that this new bill clashes with the British Wide Equality Act, a law that is reserved to the powers that be in London, meaning the Scottish government cannot pass laws that interfere with it under the rules of devolution. The SNP argue that this new bill doesn't do that, but Westminster disagrees which means that Scotland's gender recognition reforms now face a lengthy legal battle in the courts, with trans people caught in the middle. Are you keeping up? Good, because this is a real mess of a constitutional crisis. But there has to be a solution out there, somewhere in the multiverse, where all of these complicated questions about equality, devolution and personal liberty can be debated, without all the toxic baggage of division, fear and political opportunism muddying the issue. There just has to be a way to satisfy everyone's concerns, and in the process have a mature conversation that doesn't simply use trans lives as a political football and spat between opposing governments. Thank crikey then that IC News has just the means to crack this particular nut in the form of our dimensional gate. I'm going to give you a cheeky peek behind the curtain, dear listeners, and show you how some of our gear works. Us intrepid correspondents don't just blunder our way from dimension to dimension, hopping realities willy-nilly without a care in the world. Oh no! We plan ahead by plotting all the variables you want to investigate into the console here before we even think about travelling the multiverse. So, number one, here we go. Let's address the concerns of the gender-critical activists first of all, shall we? Our first priority should be a reality where all trans people have earnest intentions and are only really concerned with their own autonomy, happiness and dignity. So first, we're going to scan the infinite possibilities of the multiverse for these realities where all but the most statistically insignificant of the tiniest minority of trans people have no ulterior motive for changing genders. Particularly one that involves sexually assaulting women in toilets. I'll just type that in and... 
well, what do you know? That hasn't whittled it down at all. In fact, it's pretty much every reality in the multiverse, with the exception of the ones that exist inside the head of Miriam Cates. Oh, I know. Let's make sure we're actually prioritising the kids, shall we? Everyone's always going on about the children, and a lot's been made about Scotland's decision to lower the proposed age for applying for a gender recognition certificate to 16. So let's make sure we're only looking at realities where healthcare decisions for trans kids are only ever taken with proper expert consultation based on well-funded and rigorously peer-reviewed medical research, rather than being dictated by policy from on high written by politicians with no relevant expertise. Here we go. Let's cut it down a bit. (laughs) And right here on Earth Prime, we're well and truly out. Turns out there's a lot of religion and bigotry that needs taking out this debate. Who knew? We're still looking at trillions of possibilities, but never fear. We've got plenty of other variables we still need to weed out. Next, we'll remove all the realities where the SNP are cynically exploiting this conflict with Westminster in order to test the boundaries of devolution and bolster their case for another independence referendum. There we go, that's cut our numbers a fair bit. Still quite a way off though. Aha, got it. Now let's filter what we've got left and add one final variable. Wind a reality where conservative politicians have honest intentions and the best interests of trans people at heart. So let's just make sure we're ruling out all of the dimensions where trans rights are being weaponised as ammunition in a manufactured culture war by cynical politicians who actually don't give a shit about women's safety or trans people. I just need to make sure we're getting rid of all those places where Tory politicians are only pretending to care about this because they're terrified of being wiped out the next election and need to scare people into voting for them. None. It's none. Not a sausage. Even in a literally infinite sea of possibilities, there isn't a single reality where all of those variables apply. God, and I read those stories about the Met Police this week and thought it was hard enough just being a cisgender woman. (sighs) I'm Tiga Marlowe, and sometimes this world really does make it fucking impossible to stay positive. Reporting for IC News. Giddy up, kids. (laughs) That's horse for hello, everyone. It's me, your favourite cheeky little scamp and voice of the youth, David Stanier. If you're one of those Simon Strain your brains out there and you're struggling to wrap your noggin around a big complicated news story, have no fear. I'm here to help. It's my job to take all that noisy, screaming, complicated and boring news and dial it down to key stage one, where it whispers in a way that's nice and easy for you youngins to understand. And nothing gets more complicated or more boring than tax. Yuck. It's one of those proper adulty words like pension or mortgage or cunnilingus. Ah, what are you on about, lady at the back that keeps touching my leg? I don't know what any of those words mean. (laughs) Ha ha ha. Don't worry, kids. I can tell you're a bit worried that I'm going to bombard you with a load of dull adult nonsense. And I get why. I might look like a grown-up, but I have what lots of doctors have called Serious psychological trauma. That's because my good old dad was an anarchist and a domestic terrorist who violently brainwashed me and several other orphans over the course of several years, leaving me in... Oh, what was it that boring doctor called it? Oh yes, a regressive mental state. Which basically means I'm a big fun kid, just like all of you. A big fun kid forever. 
like Peter Pan or Paul Breach. I just happen to be a big fun kid who lives in an adult man's body. Like the old lady who lived in a shoe. Except the old lady is a young boy, and the shoe is a weird sack of skin and blood. I do some grown-up stuff, like riding the bus by myself, or relentlessly pursuing my dead father's vision of an anarchist utopia through acts of violent retribution against the ruling classes. But really, I'm just like all of you. I don't want to worry about capital gains, or dividends, or insurance. I just want to slam my pogs, catch my Pokemon, and dairily my dunkers. But here's the thing, fellow kids. Lots of grown-ups don't want to worry about tax either, which is why most of them never get to faff about hiding it offshore or converting it into shares, whatever that means. For most adults, the tax they pay just comes straight out of their pay every month. The person who decides how much comes out of your mum's and dad's wages is called the Chancellor. That person usually gets the special title of most hated knobhead in the country and they get a little red briefcase that they have to hold up to the cameras every time they leave the house. If they don't, it'll explode in their face, I assume. I don't know. I haven't really researched it. Now, that little red suitcase is very important, because inside it, there should be a teeny tiny little thing called a sense of moral responsibility. If there's one person at the top of the tax system who's basically in charge of how much money gets taken off everyone in the country and how it gets spent... That's a big job. You and naive little me might assume that that person would follow both the letter and the spirit of the tax laws they oversee. The ones that bind everyone else in this country. Sadly, to assume makes an ass out of you and me. Which means we're now stitched together like a right pair of silly buttocks. Right in the middle of this particular ass, where everyone needs to look right now, is the massive arsehole. And the massive arsehole in this story is Nadim Zahawi. Now, my mission in life is to make the news nice and simple. So let's just do that. We don't need to worry about the ins and outs of who directly benefited from Balshaw Investments or how exactly Nadim Zahawi's tax affairs were arranged. Bubble, 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 and a little bit of steam. Let's just boil it down to the basics, shall we? Basic number one is that you do not set up an offshore company if you are not doing something to avoid paying taxes here in the UK. Basic number two you do not get fined a 30% penalty by HMRC if you haven't done something that you deserve to be fined for. Both of those things happened in Nadim Zahawi's case, and he was settling the issue with HMRC at the time that he was in charge of our tax laws, during his brief stint as Chancellor. Now, our Prime Minister knows this whole story stinks. Pooey! which is why he's tried to kick the can down the road in the face of all the public outrage by ordering an investigation. But it really is very simple. Rishi Sunak says he didn't know Nadim Zahawi had paid a penalty to HMRC when he appointed him as Tory chair. So now Sunak has two questions to answer. One, is paying a penalty to HMRC for avoiding taxes? And two, is not disclosing that you've paid a penalty to HMRC for avoiding taxes a sackable offence? And in both cases, if not, why not? And if they're not, who else in government has got away with it? Oh, hang on, that's four questions. Well, I don't need to be good at maths, because I'm not trying to defraud anyone. Whatever happens next, it's clear that Zahawi hasn't been honest throughout this process. If Sunak really wants to pretend that he's running a government with any integrity, Zahawi needs to be sacked immediately. Anything else is just a load of old fetlocks.
<laughs> Which brings me back to these lovely warm stables. It belongs to Nadim Zahawi. And, if you remember the expenses scandal, you'll recall that at one point, you, the British taxpayer, were paying to keep them warm. Just another example of Zahawi making a careless and accidental mistake, in which he completely not on purpose filled out a whole bunch of forms that blatantly defrauded the British taxpayer. Oops, butterfingers. Clearly Rishi Sunak isn't going to do much to teach Zahawi a lesson, so it falls to me instead. Even if Sunak does fire him at the end of all this, it'll be closed at the stable door after the horse has bolted. Which reminds me. <coughs> Everyone, if we can have your attention, giddy up. And out you go. Yeah, hey, yeah, come on. That's it, everyone out there. Yeah. Two, two. That's it, come on. Everyone out. You guys aren't going to want to be in here when I'm finished. Now let's sing our goodbye song, kids. Feed bags, haystacks, saddles, horse tack, gasoline. In between, careless accidental, in my defense I'm mental. Kill the rich, kill the rich. There we go, kids. That ought to do it. Now let's shine a light on some of those dodgy tax arrangements. <laughs> That's better. I'm David Stanier, and I probably should have held on to a getaway horse. Reporting for IC News. And here is your table, gentlemen. Spiffing. Thanks very much. Be a good lad, will you? Bring us over a couple of bottles of champers and some caviar to start. Don't worry about the others. They'll join us soon enough. Very good, sir. That's a little extravagant for the expense accounts, don't you think, Prime Minister? <laughs> oh, don't you worry about that, my boy. Old Sharpers is bloody minted, and I'm an old hand at ducking a dinner bill. I can promise you, it'll all be on him. Treat yourself. Huh, it does all look rather enticing, I, I have to admit. And if you're sure, it won't be at the taxpayer's expense. You know me, old Beam. I'm always thinking about the public purse. Speaking of which, I'd like to make a deposit in that waitress. Quite, sir. Um, oh, before your friend arrives, though, you still haven't explained to me the reason for this meeting. Uh, as your aide, I really need to put something in the public record. Oh, good Lord, you're a tedious little pencil pusher. This is a private personal matter. There's no need for any of it to go on record. I'm not sure I agree, sir. You're the Prime Minister, and Mr Sharp has applied to become the chairman of the BBC. We really do need to avoid any suggestion of political bias in that appointment. <laughs> it's a bit late for that, don't you think? It's my call who gets appointed to that job, and Dickie's already given half a million quid to the Conservative Party. Look... It's all very dull, normal, completely above-board stuff. And this is purely a social occasion. There's absolutely nothing going on here that will later come back to bite me in the arse. If you say so. Your champagne and caviar, sirs. Marvellous! That's more like it. Let's not fuck about waiting for the others. I'm hungry now. Isn't that a little rude, sir? Hardly. If we could eat it all before they even get here, Dick won't even know it's on the bill. 
Gosh, have I taught you nothing? I did sign up for this job to get some political experience, yes. I, I didn't think grifting a free lunch would be part of it, though. <laughs> That's what 90% of politics is, you silly fucker. You, don't piss off yet, you numpty. Take our order. Very good, sir. What can I get you? I'll have the comfy lobster and wago fillet steak with the bone marrow bonbons and a side of truffled fondant potatoes. Mmm. Get me a boat of that whiskey cream sauce you do as well, will you? I'm a mucky little dunker. Oh, and four more bottles of bolly, too. And some more caviar. And you, sir? I'll just take the soup du jour, the vegetarian option, please. Nonsense. He'll have the oysters to start, then the veal roulade with seasonal greens and four more bottles of bolly. Bring it all together, though, will you? As quick as you can. I don't eat meat, sir. Jesus Christ. Is everyone in the civil service a tank-top bum boy? Prime Minister, we have talked about your use of discriminatory language. (laughs) I think you'll find you've talked. Whether or not I've listened, I'm afraid, is another matter entirely. Your food will be with you shortly, gentlemen. Yes, yes, fuck off. There he is, Dick, old boy. My good friend, my chum, my entirely impartial appointment. Hello, Boris, and hello to you, Mr... It's Cyril, Mr. Sharp. Cyril Servant. Are you fucking kidding me? Your name is Cyril Servant? (laughs) Are you telling me we've worked together for over a year and you don't even know my name? (laughs) I never learn names, dear boy. Most of the time I just finish, fart and roll over. Your meal, gentlemen. I see you've not changed, Boris, starting without me. Oh, you know me, Dickie. I'm always out to get head. And a head. (laughs) Which is why I've asked you here, actually. I'm in a bit of a financial pickle. What with the child support payments and all the rest of it. I was hoping you could help me out. Well, you know me, Boris. I'm always completely impartially introducing people. How much is it this time? About 800 grand should do it. Jesus Christ, how many children have you got? I'm sure I can find a chap willing to help you out, don't you worry about that. Particularly if it gets a few wheels moving on Mm, this, um, uh... Don't say a word, old friend. I hear you, and it's all in hand. Fuck, this lobster's delicious. Very good. Well, I'm afraid I can't actually stay today, so I'll have to bid you both goodbye. As always, Boris, it's been mutually beneficial and all above board. <laughs> Hasn't it just? Goodbye, both of you. Yum. Well, I think that went rather well, don't you? I do like Richard. Did you notice how lovely and generic his voice was? Almost like he just assumes that nobody listening will Google what he actually sounds like. A private matter, you said. All above board and nothing to worry about. Oh, come now, Cedric. You worry too much. Back in a minute. All right. Old Alex has got to take to piffle with his Johnson. (laughs) It's Cyril, sir, and I really wish you wouldn't make that joke every time you go to the bathroom. Oh, whatever, you nerd.
Did he just... Ahem. Your bill, sir. Oh, that fucker. All right, settle down. Shut up! Cruella's talking. Ah, the classroom. It brings back memories, doesn't it? The squeak of chalk, the twang of a ruler, the sobbing of the weak. A classroom is the forge in which the ore of youth can be melted down and moulded. It's where young minds are either hammered into shape or warped and made weak and brittle. It's the birthplace of our relationship with authority and conformity. It's the arena where discipline and common sense used to rule supreme, but has now been taken over by wet, soft, moaning crybabies with their critical race theory and drag queen story hours. I'm talking, of course, about teachers in 2023. What a fucking sight it was this week. Thousands of them downing whiteboard markers and abandoning the nation's children. Even after the free holiday they all got during the pandemic. Oh, you had to plan and deliver an entire online curriculum at a time of massive national anxiety, did you? Oh, and you were actually in school the vast majority of the time as well, still teaching the children of key workers, were you? Oh, it was actually far more work than your regular job, was it? Bollocks. I distinctly remember seeing kids at the shop once during the pandemic. And that's all the evidence I need to dismiss the claimed experience of anyone who actually works in a school. And it should be enough for you too. Teachers. Workshy bastards the lot of them. If it were up to me, I'd take their socialist little heads and clap them together as if they were a pair of blackboard dusters. Nothing would give me greater pleasure than to knock a bit of common sense into the brains of this pathetic generation of educators. It's an embarrassment, I tell you. The woke mob have well and truly infiltrated our education system, spreading their Marxist poison and the toxic fantasy of reasonable wages. The greed of these people, jumping on this great bandwagon of strike action, as if the raise they got last year wasn't more than anyone in the private sector could hope for. Oh, look out, here they come again, whining in their saddest little indoor voices. Well, I think you'll find that last year's pay rise actually did nothing to rebalance a decade of real terms pay cuts. <laughs> Starting salaries for teachers have actually dropped at least 5% in the last year alone by that metric. <laughs> we can all do sums, dickheads. I hate to break it to you, but you're not that special. And maths isn't actually that hard. In fact, here's an exam question for you. Tim and Suzanne are hard-working taxpayers. 
Take away their free babysitting service for the day. And what have you got? The answer is two new Tory voters and it serves you fucking right. Honestly, when are these miserable public sector workers going to develop a little patriotic backbone and say thank you for what they've got? It's all just me, me, me with these teachers. Me, my wages, my budget, my demand that my kids in my classroom aren't taking the hit from my pay rise not being funded by my government. Selfish, selfish, selfish. Don't these people understand that forcing schools to take on extra fiscal burden is the only thing keeping Nadim Zahawi's tax bill down? Sorry, inflation. I mean the only thing keeping inflation down. It doesn't matter what feeble argument these unions put forward. I disagree with all of them. And like the government, anything I disagree with is woke. So the nation's cringing, crying, craven teachers are just going to have to forgive me if I don't feel like offering them my solidarity. After all, isn't that what we're teaching now? That everyone's feelings are far more important than the facts. Well, newsflash kids, they fucking aren't. You can put a rainbow banner on your profile pic and twerk on TikTok all you like, but what changes the world is power. Real power. And do you know what real power is? Real power is the fist that grabs a handful of your hair and shoves your head into the toilet. Real power is the boot on your throat. And none of you, not the teachers, not the nurses, or the railway workers, or postmen, or caterers, or cleaners, or porters, or Ofsted inspectors, or civil servants, or bin men, or, or any of you will ever change the world while people like me and this government have still got boots and the will to stand over you. <sighs> Okay, year two. Um, say thank you to Oliver's mother for her uh, passionate show and tell today. She's not my mum. I've never seen her before in my life. What? Well, who are you then exactly? I'm Cruella Hunt. And someone's got to bring a few hard truths back to the classroom. Reporting for IC News. Oh, and Oliver, your mum's a snowflake and a pussy, and she's unconscious in the car park. What? Mummy? Oh, grow up and tell her to take a little personal responsibility. I taught myself how to break out of a sleeper hold back in year nine. Nookie, here we go. Time to get your big boy pants on, Alexander. This is your Churchill moment. Your chance to submit your legacy in the history books. Username. Oh, balls. Where's my bloody username? Um, Boris at gov.uk. Yes. And the password is... Oh, cripes. What was it? Is it the same as my online banking? Let's try. Floriot Etona. Nope. 
Winston, 1942. Nope, hmm. it's not that either. Um, hmm. Oh, I know, Boobies, 69. Ah, excellent, got it. Let's have a look then. <laughs> there you are, Vlad, old boy. Already waiting in the lobby for me to start the call. What a rookie mistake, surrendering ground to me so early on. The first man into the room is always on the back foot, left waiting for the Alpha. That's Statecraft 101. In fact, I think I'll let you stew a moment or two longer. <laughs> oh, this is going to be so easy. Boris the buffoon is just for the cameras. Old Putin is about to see the steel at the heart of this great British lion. Here we go. <clears throat> President Putin, I am sorry to have kept you waiting for so long. I had some important... Thank you for joining us so early, Prime Minister. President Putin regrets to inform you he will be slightly delayed. No reason, he just will. Ah, I see. Um, who are you then? I shall be acting as the President's translator in these talks. Right. Well, um... I can't wait for too long, you know. I'm a very busy and important man. Of course you are. And very busy and important men often need to point such things out. <sighs> ah, here he comes now. President Putin says he is sorry to have kept you waiting for so long. He had some important matters to take care of. I'm sure he did. Preparations, maybe? Perhaps a few... Military orders? Mm -hmm. President Putin is not sure what it is you say, Prime Minister. Oh, come on now, Vlad. The whole world is watching, and we all know you're planning to invade Ukraine. And I'm telling you now, I fully intend on fucking up a lot of stuff over the next three years, but there's a slim to vanishing chance I might actually do the odd thing right in opposing that sort of thing. Particularly if acting the strongman serves as a convenient distraction for the occasional scandal. President Putin says your accusation wounds him, Prime Minister. The Russian military only ever moves in defense of the motherland's borders, and we will not tolerate NATO missiles next to our land. We have been crystal clear on this. Yes, well, the problem with that is your borders keep moving, don't they? President Putin says this is matter of perspective. Well, you can tell President Putin, in the strongest possible terms, that I demand he de-escalate and step back from military action immediately. President Putin says to open the online banking account for the Conservative Party. Now why would I do that? Just humor him, please. Oh, for goodness sake, fine. Thankfully, I've got the password saved for that one. <laughs> it's handy when you need to dip into it for the occasional dinner. Right, there. What am I looking at? President Putin would like you to demand he step back from military action immediately again. <laughs> well, gladly. I'm more than happy to repeat myself. I demand he de-escalate and step back from this invasion immediately. Oh my, that's a uh, rather a large campaign donation. 
Okay, uh, well, I, uh, uh, that is, I, uh, I respectfully request that he step back from this invasion. I ask very nicely that he step back from this invasion. Crikey, that'll buy a lot of Bollinger. You see now how the situation is delicate. Clearly. But, but I warn you, Vladimir, I'm, I'm not going to be cowed on this. Mainly because I keep getting in trouble and saber-rattling is about all I'm actually good at. I warn you, NATO stands ready to defend its borders, but we do not pose a direct threat to Russia. Ukraine isn't joining the alliance any time soon. This is madness. President Putin says you say any time soon. He asks what this means. Well, it means Ukraine won't be joining NATO in the foreseeable future. President Putin says he does not want to hurt you, Boris. That's a relief. But I wasn't planning on touching any door handles near a cathedral anytime soon anyway. But he also says it would be easy. One missile is all it would take. Wowzers! That's quite the soundbite, isn't it? <laughs> Mind if I jot that one down? It'll be a cracker for stealing a few headlines if the press ever figure out how I stitched up Richard Sharp's appointment to the BBC. The Kremlin will deny all knowledge any such thing was ever said. <laughs> yeah, right. And I never lied about Partygate. If that is all, Prime Minister, President Putin has other pressing engagements. Now, hang on a minute. I don't think you ever actually said you wouldn't invade Ukraine. Balls. He's gone. Well, <laughs> I think that went rather well. me, Danny Sutcliffe. I'm here today with a right bargain for you. And no, it's not just the mystery me I've got in the back of my van. Although that is also primo stuff, so meet me behind odd bins and flash your full beams if you're interested. If you haven't joined our Patreon yet, we've got a special offer for you. Sign up now as one of our early bird supporters and you can get access to all of our exclusive content for just £2 a month. If you want bonus podcast sketches, compilation episodes and ICU stories, this is the cheapest you're ever going to get them. You've got to be quick though, this deal is limited to the first 500 patrons and they'll get snapped up quick. It's the best way to show your support for the show and you'll be helping us to grow moving forwards. As always, thank you for all of your support and we hope you enjoy the show. And no, it's not badger meat. And if Brian May tries to tell you otherwise, he's a fucking liar. <laughs>